Bridge Bank helps breakthrough ideas actually break through and remains dedicated to providing financial solutions to the risk takers, the game changers, and the disruptors. Bridge Bank, a division of Western Alliance Bank. Bridge Bank, be bold, venture wisely. Hey, it's Glenn Washington from Snap Judgment. And if you love what you're hearing, and I know you love what you're hearing, please consider becoming a KQED member. Get special access to cool events, behind-the-scenes footage, and so much more. Plus, you'll sleep better at night knowing you did your part for the community you depend upon. It's in you. Please be in it. Visit donate.kqed.org slash podcasts to sign up now. That's podcast with an S. Thanks. From KQED. BT Dubs, happy birthday to Dutch. My little one turned eight last week. Same time. Huh? I know. Uh, what did you get him? What do we get him? I mean, it's is so he close not in to a Christmas. Or oh, he is. He got a Pokemon sweatshirt. <laughs> we don't buy him Pokemon cards anymore. It's gambling. Him. They literally <laughs> teach kids in to Casablanca. gamble. Well, but they're yeah, not like, even playing the game. And then they throw. They, no, they're just it's trading to find cards. the cards. Yeah. Give me fifty bucks and I'll find a three dollar card. Right. Great. Oh, Next. and then my eleven year old will be like, 50. "Mom, I could sell this," and I'm like, "I doubt that." Uh, it's they all like, yeah, I could sell it's this. Like, it's like bent and like <laughs> red. They're just they're so convinced of that. That's so funny. Hey everyone from KQED Public Radio, this is Political Breakdown. I'm Marisa Lago, and I'm Scott Schaefer. Today on the Breakdown, we're thrilled to welcome Governor Gavin Newsom back to the show. Proposition 1, his ballot measure to fund housing and treatment for people with mental illness and addiction, is before voters in this primary election. The deadline to vote is next Tuesday, March 5th. And today the governor's here with us in our Sacramento studio. Governor Gavin Newsom, welcome back to The Breakdown. It's good to be with you. Thank you. So let's talk first about the $6.4 billion bond. This is to fund housing and treatment for people with mental illness and addiction. Um you know, you have really struggled and worked to tackle these crises yeah. since you were mayor in San Francisco. Mm. And mm. I think broadly in California, mm. things have gotten worse, not better over the last yeah. two decades. Depends. So talk a little bit about why this bond, why this solution now? How did you land on well, it? Well, we got to go at scale. We got to go to scale the problem. I mean, this is a big, bold idea. This is to make up for a 50-year promise that was never realized. There was a bipartisan endeavor in the late 50s early and late 60s uh, to begin the process of deinstitutionalization, not just in California, but all across the country. Let me give you an interesting statistical proof point. In 1959, there were over 37,000 locked psychiatric beds in the state of California. By the time Ronald Reagan left his second term as governor of California, 7,500. Today, there are about 5,500. 37,000 to 5,500. As I say, this was a bipartisan effort. The whole idea was to create step-down facilities. The whole idea uh, was to create community-based alternatives, but we never fulfilled that vision for many different reasons. And so this is the fulfillment of that vision, $6.38 billion bond and a significant reform to the Mental Health Services Act without increasing taxes that will provide $1 billion of much-needed ongoing annual money to counties for housing, including rent and prevention services, as well as support and subsidies. So this is an extraordinary opportunity, bipartisan support, uh, state Senate, 40 to nothing to get this on the ballot. Uh, and this is a passion project. And this is, I guess, equivalent to being in Vegas. This is, we're all in. 
to make a dent in this crisis. And, you know, you probably more than any other previous governor have spent a lot of money on these things already. You've spent billions of dollars, the the legislature and you, uh, more than the the bond measure even has, 6.4. So, and yet you look around, people feel like they don't see the impact. Why? Well, they don't, there's 71,000 people they don't see that we've gone off the streets. That's been a stress-tested fact. Uh, 5,600 camp uh, encampments, just the state-sponsored programs, 71,000 and 5,600 encampments, the state-sponsored programs. But let me remind everybody of something that everyone needs to be reminded of, and often I need to be reminded of. Uh, when I got here, there was no homeless strategy, no homeless plan. It wasn't the black and white movie days I got here. I got here five years ago. The state wasn't involved in homelessness. It was completely outsourced to the cities and counties, and they were overwhelmed. When I was mayor of San Francisco, we had the highest population of homeless ever counted in California's history, higher than even today, 188,000. That was 20-plus years ago uh, when that was uh, conducted, that, that what we call point-in-time count. But I never thought about calling Schwarzenegger to solve it when I was mayor back then. I never thought about Gray Davis solving this. And so the point That's is— That's interesting, though, because as you point out, I mean— Former Governor Reagan helped sort of set us on this path, and it had been, what, 50, 60 years. Yeah, and and so the state just never thought it it outsourced the responsibility to the counties properly and to the cities. But they're overwhelmed. They can't do it alone. It's pretty clear. Now, to Governor Brown's credit, in his last budget, he did a half a billion dollar appropriation, but it was a little bit kicking and screaming. There was no accountability, no strategies, no plans attached to it. But you're absolutely right, Scott, $15.3 billion multi-year commitment. But we also have procured, and this is stress test as well, almost 15,500 new units of permanent supportive housing in perpetuity under the home key model. Uh, that three and a half year process, we were able to do that unprecedented for $203,000 a key, the state costs. We're requiring homeless, not just uh, homeless dollars to be appropriated to the cities and counties, but homeless plans in return, six metrics to which they have to meet performances. And we actually provide bonuses if they actually perform. So it's now about accountability. We did conservatorship reform. We've got care court. And now we've got this bond. And so I'm in the position right now where the state's vision has to be realized locally, that it's time for local government to match this resolve and our ambition and to step up because we now have provided unprecedented tools. You mentioned conservatorship and that has there was a law passed. You signed it. It was not as nearly as effective as a lot of people hoped it would be. And then I think it was changed a little bit to make it a little easier to get people into mental health uh, care, uh, you know, whether or not they wanted to be. Why did it fall short the first time? And is it working any better now? Well, it just went in effect in January. And it's an opt-in. And, and, and people have now time. They don't have to legally opt-in in January of this year. Uh, they have to opt-in within the next couple of years. But so there was a version of it earlier. No, it's, I thought it was pretty significant reform. Don't tell anyone up here. That was very deeply challenged. Uh, a lot of folks were deeply opposed to it. But things changed. The paradigm changed pretty significantly a year or two ago when care court was introduced. That was a different pathway, different strategy. It's not substituted care. It's supported care. There's a due process court orders. There's a referral process. And there's a two-year potential process to get people into that strategy. That just went into effect as well just a few months ago. So you're talking about order of magnitude shift in policy that hasn't even had a chance of just weeks and months to go into effect. So we're talking about a flywheel effect here. Unprecedented shifts in policy, unprecedented resources and support. Now it's time for unprecedented accountability at the local level. And that includes, by the way, addressing the issue of encampments 
which is a vexing legal issue that will be adjudicated at the United States Supreme Court very shortly. Well, let me ask you then, what does success look like by the time you leave the governor's office? I want people, I want to see a reduction in the street population. I want to see these encampments cleaned up. As I say, 71,000 human beings are off the streets and sidewalks, unprecedented supports at the local level. You can imagine. I mean, I say about politics all the time. It's not like baseball. You don't get credit for saves. And I'm not suggesting, it's not what, you know, imagine the, just the, the, the extraordinary impacts of neglect if we did the status quo ante five years ago. But there's no doubt the physical aspects of this have radically changed on the streets and sidewalks. And what I mean by that, encampments, tents. And we have to, I keep telling the mayor, did, mayors, we say this over and over, three years ago, not a penny targeted specifically for encampments. Two years ago, we did a $50 million pilot for encampment resolution grants, not whack-a-mole. You actually have to do a census of the individuals. You have to have a plan to help them, not just before you remove all uh, the encampment. $750 million today. Hundreds of millions going out over the next few months in this space. It's a program that's working. It's been stress tested over the last years. An example of the kind of thing I want to see more of specifically to your question. Let's deal with these encampments. Let's see a reduction in the street population. Those that are struggling, self-medicating with bipolar disorder, schizophrenia, and drug addictions. That's what the Behavioral Health Act reforms will do in Prop 1. And now you have the housing components that include, by the way, $2 billion of the 6.38 that goes to extend the home key model with streamlining and siting reforms so we could continue this momentum. Do you expect to see, I mean, you said 37,000 locked beds when Reagan was changing well, that. Well, this is 11, so let's let's give you the numerics. The reason it's 6.38 billion and not 5.99 or 6 billion or even 6.4 is we've stress test by doing a deep dive analysis, a needs analysis. 11,150 beds have been identified for locked beds and new treatment slots. In addition to that, 26,700 outpatient beds. So you combine those two things with all their other reforms on mental health, 0 to 26, $4.7 billion, the community schools, $4.1 billion that includes wellness centers, our CalAIM proposal, which is $11 billion five-year effort to integrate brain health and physical health. It's the most significant reform in Medicaid and American history. And you focus on the other work that we've been doing in this space. No state in America, if the voters approve Prop 1, will have done more at scale to address the issue of mental health and provide a platform for real optimism that we can begin to turn this tide. All right. We're going to take a short break. I want to know, none of those numbers were written down in front of him, all off the top they of They never and are. You can politifact <laughs> all of them. Please do. When and we, I'm sure you will. <laughs> so I should even be telling you. When we come back from this break, we'll continue talking to Governor Gavin Newsom. You're listening to Political Breakdown from KQED Public Radio. Sign up to The Economist for in-depth curated expert analysis of world events and topics ranging from business and culture to science and technology. You'll get the weekly digital edition, online-only articles, curated newsletters on politics, the markets, science, culture and China, and full access to The Economist Podcast Plus. The Economist is independent journalism for independent thinking. Go to economist.com and get your first month free. Hi there, I'm Randa Abdel-Fattah from ThruLine. If you're listening to this podcast, you know that KQED produces exceptional storytelling that keeps you informed, inspired, and entertained. Their podcasts cover issues from your neighborhood to the entire country and everything in between. 
Support this work today. You can help us continue to bring quality podcasts to your ears. Just head to donate.kqed.org slash podcast. That's donate.kqed.org slash podcast. Welcome back to Political Breakdown. I'm Marisa Lagos here with Scott Schaefer. Today our guest is Governor Gavin Newsom. And I would like to move on to one of my favorite topics Mm. and yours, I believe, criminal justice. Yeah. So... You came into office as the state was really embracing a slew of criminal justice reforms. This is on the heels of a United States uh, Supreme Court ruling that we needed to reduce our prison population. I'm wondering if you think, just broad brushstrokes, have we gone too far in any way away from tough on crime policies or towards reform? Well, I mean, in terms of the policy, there's one set of, the two sets of facts here that I think need to be considered. One is the performance and the application of our policies and then the policies themselves, because I think there needs to be accountability on both. Uh, we're not seeing enough arrests and prosecutions. We're not seeing existing law exercised and adjudicated as effectively as I'd like to see it. That's number one. Number two, there does need to be some clarification in some of the reforms. And I've been very active, proactive in that respect, uh, put up a legislative package, working with the legislature as we speak for some clarifications, for example, in Prop 47, but that are not necessarily setting us back uh, to pre-Prop 47 days, pre 2014, when that law was enacted, well before my time as governor of California. But look, uh, I, I, I think these reforms are fundamentally sound, but it's the execution of real people at all levels that need to, I think, be held to a higher level of accountability. All of us. That includes me as well. You've made it clear that you don't think Prop 47 needs to be reformed, that uh, the focus now is on these smash and grab, the organized ring, the black market where these things are being sold. And there's some bills, you know, pending right now that you're supporting. So are you saying that there's nothing that would uh, come to your desk on Prop 47 going to the ballot that you would sign? Well, let's establish a baseline people may not be familiar with. I'm the only politician in the state of California that has uh, real credibility on this issue. I'm the only guy who reformed Prop 47. I'm not an ideologue. I'm open argument. I'm open to interested. I did a ballot initiative, Prop 63, that the voters overwhelmingly approved, which was a gun safety initiative that included a reform of Prop 47. I went back to the voters to reform it. So I have no problem reforming it. But let's talk about what people are arguing is wrong with Prop 47. Uh, they begin almost overwhelmingly, 80 plus percent of people say, well, you lowered the threshold or you increased it from 400 in 2014 to $950. We have, they say, the weakest And we should uh, just say, for people who may not know, to charge a felony as opposed to a misdemeanor. Right. It raises used, the threshold. used to be 400 Now, Now it's $950 that you would have to steal in order to have the felony threshold. That's the 10th toughest threshold in the United States of America. I'll repeat that. It's the 10th toughest in America. Texas, you have to steal upwards of 2500 before you have that. But you don't see those smash and grab kinds of things in Texas. You have $200 in New Jersey. Google retail theft in New Jersey. Right now, anyone listening, Google it. It's a big problem, huge problem. It's not the threshold. It's never been the threshold. These smash and grabs, someone steals 50 iPhones from Apple. Uh, Was it the first 10 seconds they broke through that $950 threshold? That's a different thing. These more violent flash mobs, that's a different thing. They're outside of the purview of Prop 47, where I think Prop 47 needs to be clarified, and I've proactively uh, offered this language to the legislature, is on the aggregation as it relates uh, to priors. Uh, and there's I found been, this is a big problem in my reporting. It's a big well. problem, and that's a legitimate point of critique 
that we want to tackle and that but we are But you don't need tackling. to go back to voters. Exactly. But we don't time. on that need to go back are to Are you voters. saying, though, there's no bill that could land on your desk this year that you would no, sign to go that. back? No, to I the, didn't say that at all. I, I, to go back to the ballot. Well, I, but I mean, again, if you can prove to me that it's necessary and I haven't seen the necessity yet on the basis of what we have proposed and what ledge council says is appropriate pursuant uh, to our legislative authority, not just uh, what would require going back to ballot. But let me just end on this. Um, I have have some receipts here. In 2019, I set forth a criminal justice package in the state of California, $1.1 billion. I must have done three dozen press conferences. People, I don't think anyone paid any attention. I had I created, we created and extended the Retail Theft Task Force with the CHP, included some logistics operations with the National Guard. It's proven to be very successful. Let me be even more specific. $267 million specifically for retail theft grants for vertical prosecution. 55 law enforcement agencies are in the beneficiary of those grants. And we just announced yesterday 900 arrests, and that just went into effect uh, from December till today. So we're making progress here. But I admit and acknowledge that we have a lot more work to do. I want to ask a question that I think is somewhat related, and that is drugs. Fentanyl in particular, it's a terrible problem. And I think you announced uh, that the state had uh, had gotten 62,000 pounds off the street. So that's 31 tons. And yet there's always more coming in. Where where do you think it's coming in and what can be done to stem the flow? We don't think it. We study after study bears this out. We have the largest land port in the Western Hemisphere in the state of California, San Ysidro. And up until two years ago, it was the biggest port of entry for people coming through the port of entry. Vast majority, American citizens, not folks, Ron DeSantis, in backpacks jumping over the wall, but through the port of entry. And 90% of it, again, that we've seized was coming right through uh, the ports of entry, not just in San Ysidro, but in other ports of entry along the border, but a disproportionate long-winded point amount coming through California. Now, that began to shift about two years ago. I put the National Guard four years ago down at the border. I increased it last year by them by 50% last year. We don't take a back seat on this. We put out a $1 billion fentanyl plan. It's called a master plan fentanyl. We've included Trank and xylazine. Pay attention to that. Trank is the street name uh, for a veterinarian drug called xylazine, which you're seeing on the East Coast is even more problematic because naloxone and other drugs don't work for it. We're doing something called CalRx, where we'll soon be, it's been a stubborn process, uh, producing our own insulin at $35, not copay or subsidy, but at cost, which will be applying for everybody. It's the biggest thing happening in the country on this, not just for Medicare recipients. And part of CalRx is doing a new program to reduce the cost of naloxone, which we're also significantly increasing its uh, ample supply to address the overdoses. I got to say, though, and yet we're seeing overdose deaths continue to increase. It's so strong. And it is coming from China, often sort of manufactured there, coming through Mexico. Does the federal government need to step in more? Like, is there a role here to be going at this stuff outside of the U.S. borders? Well, how about I went to talk about going? I went to China. I sat down, look at the readout of, of, of my very public 45 minutes with President Xi on the issue of fentanyl. And? Directly. Do you feel like you made progress? Because running on the issue of fentanyl. Not only did we make progress, the conversation we had was aggregated in an MOU that the President of the United States signed at APEC a few weeks later. And we're now having consistent conversations between the state, I mean, well, our State Department and Homeland Security, Mayorkas' folks. Uh, we have now consistent engagement a new 
with China that we didn't have before on precursor chemicals. So we're looking at this across the spectrum from a holistic uh, treatment perspective, from a naloxone prevention perspective. We're looking at for interdiction at the border, task forces all up and down the state that include the National Guard, not just the CHP and others, as well as federal partners, and as it relates to the precursor chemical. When you ran for governor in 2018, you said you were open to the idea of safe injection sites. Uh, In 20. 22, you vetoed a bill to do just that. Uh, You said you were worried about unintended consequences. Show me the plan. Show me the plan. We now have two overdose deaths on average in San Francisco a day. Uh, Still haven't received a plan. New York, what what do you... It was very clear. Read the veto message. I couldn't be more clear. If we're going to do... Say Why not come up sites. with a plan? I mean, I told because localism's determined. I'm not the mayor of 478 cities. I'm happy to do that job. By the way, in many ways, I would be happier to do that job to address some of the encampment issues. But forgive me for digressing. My point being this: if communities are serious about doing it, I was clear in that veto. Show me the detailed plan. Because this is serious stuff. You saw what San Francisco tried to do in this respect. It did not go well. There were a lot of problems with their short-term site, which they did absent of any state legislation. I don't think many people were celebrating what they did. But the point is, I, I'm, I'm not, again, not ideological, but I'm pragmatic. And I've seen ideological policy produce unintended results. And when it comes to quality of life and addressing some of these vaccine issues, I want serious people providing serious strategies and serious plans that can be stress test and show a long-term frame of thinking, not just a short-term frame, in order to get from cycle to cycle or election to election. And right now, I have not yet to date received anything from any of these jurisdictions pursuant to that veto. If you're just joining us, you're listening to Political Breakdown from KQED Public Radio. I'm Marisa Lagos here with Scott Schaefer, our guest today, California Governor Gavin Newsom. I want to ask because, you know, we've been talking about Uh, criminal justice reform, fentanyl, all these big problems. And one of the things that your administration has done to try to help cities like San Francisco and Oakland is send in CHP, National Guard, extra prosecutors to Oakland. And, you know, in San Francisco, we had a recall of a pretty progressive DA. The new DA has been charging low-level drug dealers um, and, and really sort of made this a priority. I just wonder, like, do you see any conflict there? Does any of this feel like going backwards to, like, the war on drugs? or the way we're dealing with it. How do you kind of square those two things? I don't know how people square the conditions in some parts of San Francisco. I mean, I'm not going to argue for the status quo. Absolutely not. And and nor many elected officials, I mean, to their credit. Everyone just has different approaches. Uh, But I think you can have a both-and thoughtful approach. I think, frankly, a hands-off approach uh, that just holds hands and wishes away the problem because it's a societal problem and everyone's a victim and produce many results. I mean, just overdose deaths, the likes of which we've never experienced in our lifetimes. So I think a little bit of, you know, tough love, dare I say it, is in order here. I mean, there's nothing compassionate about watching people literally hand the tools of someone else's personal destruction and saying, well, that, you know, that young kid's just got a job. I mean, I hear that from people. I mean, someone said that to me the other day when they were talking about some of the smash and grabs and the gun violence in Oakland. Well, at least they have a job. Really? Hmm. I mean, I, so so I was I had no problem putting 120 surge CHP recently in Oakland. You saw the 71 arrests, 145 vehicles we got back, the contraband. We got the, the, a lot of guns off the street. We have ongoing operations. Don't think we pulled away completely. We'll continue to do these episodic surges. We've come in with multiple weeks of 
announcements, including encampment cleanups that I personally engaged in, including new home key money to deal with homelessness, including unprecedented supports for volunteer and summer job programs and all of the things that are required of a community to rebuild. But there needs to be accountability. I had a member of my staff whose child had a gun put to their head and they stole diapers mm. in uh, on the streets. This is just not acceptable. How many people we know have not had their car broken into once, but two, three times? You, you've got a gas station in California that's the most dangerous gas station in the United States of America. That is happening today. That is a disgrace. And we need to own this. And again, uh, I'm happy to come in if they want to substitute localism for the governor to assert, I'll do it. But I'm trying to do what I can to support. But at the end of the day, that last mile, that has to be delivered locally. And here's the good news. The mayors of both cities, to their credit, have embraced the support and the community overwhelmingly mm. has embraced support. Not everybody, I get it. Uh, but we're, trying to, we're not trying to go back to pre-1994, uh, but we're trying to find some new balance to deal with quality of life in this right. state. One of the things London Breed is doing, mayor of San Francisco, is Proposition F, uh, which would uh, require drug testing for people who are suspected drug of being screening, screening yeah. you know, and, and, and Trent Rohr was supposed to tell me more about this. <laughs> yeah. uh, he, he hasn't but, but yet. Who runs, uh, people don't know what Trent Rohr, he runs uh, Health and Human Services in San Francisco. He said he was going to call me and explain this because I read the headlines like everybody else. I don't know the details. Okay, so basically, well, you know, when you ran for mayor, care not cash. Yep. That was your thing. Very different. And people call, it was very different, but yeah. they took money away from people who yep. were getting assistance and put it into housing. Wild success. But you were called fascist. I mean, there are all oh, kinds of things that you were called. Worse than that, yeah. yeah well, maybe different... <laughs> Body burn and effigy. Those were the good old days well, before the recalls. I'm wondering if, you know, <laughs> if you don't want to weigh in on Prop F, do you think there are people who feel the city has gone too far in terms of being too liberal? There's a group of people who are funding, a lot of them are from the tech industry, trying to recall judges, including one appointed by you, yeah. uh, because they're too soft on crime. I don't what do you know think about enough about those situational things, but the broader issue is, look, I, I think San Francisco's I think things have gotten a lot better than they were a year ago. That's my humble opinion, and that's a rather learned opinion, um, because I'm I'm there enough to get a sense of that. Um, but we we were they they were in a, a very difficult place a few a year or two ago. I mean, the COVID created sort of a, a status quo ante that started to bulk up in terms of what was happening on the streets and sidewalks. A permissiveness, a structure was sort of born and it was inbred. And 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 we've got to right-size that. So yes, to your point, no, we, we got to sort of rebalance things here. But we don't do it by going back. We're not doubling down on stupid the old days. It's not three strikes and none of that. I mean, you can hold to these things, but you can't again be ideological and rigid in your thinking. Things have changed. The type of crimes have changed. The organization of these crimes. One of the biggest problems we're having on retail is third-party sellers. They know exactly what they're doing. Where's the Amazon accountability? Amazon didn't exist 20 years exactly. ago. Exactly. And, and there's got to be accountability there as well. And so it's across the spectrum. Look, you have retailers that don't even want to enforce the law. They don't even want to support law enforcement to force the law. There has to be accountability there. There has to be accountability. You can still arrest for misdemeanors. It's still against the law to steal something, period. It's not free to steal up to $950. It's made up. And judges should hold folks accountable. DA should stack. They can still stack. They can still aggregate misdemeanors. Now, I know we need to clarify that, and that goes back to our original conversation. But I think what's happened, I don't know, I don't know, we can get into you guys, you can get all your fancy psychology, you know, all these professors <laughs> of this and that and, you know, all the, you know, again, like criminologists and talk about the phenomenon post uh, Floyd and, you know, how we're, we're coming out of COVID. And there's a lot of theories about this, um, but there's also lived reality. 
And, 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 and we've got to address that lived reality. We've got to address how people feel, how families are feeling. Um, people are scared. And, and they shouldn't be. They can't be. This is California. We, we saw a decline in homicides last year, 5%. Uh, we saw an increase in violent crime that if, had we addressed the violent crime increases in Oakland and Bakersfield would not have been as significant at all. Just those two cities, by the way, Spiked Bakersfield, up, yeah. not just Oakland, Home which is Kevin interesting. Um, I just think it's interesting. It's the murder capital of California, which is interesting because the paradigm there is hard conservative. Yeah, not a lot of fans of your criminal justice policy now no, in Bakersfield. But you know what? But they also have approached everything very differently with worse results. So, you know, with the same constraints that they claim are constraints that persist in other parts of the state. So there's, you know, I'm not going to fall prey to sort of lazy punditry on this. That said, I'm nor falling a prey to a rigidity of thinking. You have to be open to argument. And what I've experienced in Oakland, what I've experienced in San Francisco, compels me as governor to try to use whatever tools I have limited because CHP, they don't walk the beat. National Guard is not running out with, you know, you know, uh, tanks. Uh, we don't want that. By the way, they can't do that. Um, but but people are at that point where some people have actually called for that, and I understand why. And and so we're trying to find some balance and comedy. And and, and the legislature gets it. We're now moving with more fentanyl bills, more retail theft bills, which is encouraging. And uh, we're seeing results with these operations, which is encouraging. Uh, directionally, crime's starting to move in the right direction, which is encouraging. You even saw. I know it doesn't. You know, we, back to homelessness. The rate of increase last year was more modest than we've seen in the past. I know it's a terrible thing to say because, it, you know, it's, it's, it's a low bar. But, you know, you, but you saw f- almost 40 percent increase in, in, in places like Colorado and, and 39 percent increase in, in, in New York, 18 percent increase in Florida. It's not unique phenomenon to California any longer. But again, we have a responsibility because we have the nation's most acute and challenged homeless problem. All right. Before we let you go, we like to end on a fun note. Okay. So you have four kids. Youngest okay. is eight. Just turned uh, eight this now week. The, now the real work. Yes. 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 Oldest is Governing's 14, easy. I believe. Uh, yeah. I, every time I think about four kids, I think you and your wife are a little crazy. But the Eight, 10, 12, and 14. Wow. Yeah. You're, you're in it. Yeah. Um, I'm just wondering, like, what you constantly get the question about, what are you going to do next? Are you going to run for president? What do the kids want to see you do? <laughs> they want more time with dad. They don't want me missing soccer tournaments or volleyball tournaments, particularly when they're on the road in Reno or San Jose or some other part of the state, which are more difficult for me to make. I think they, they want more time and attention like any to, any kids. So it's hard. It's the hardest part of this job. What do, they, what do you think they like most about you being governor? Uh, I just took them to the uh, National Governors Association. This was oh their... fun. That's fun. Okay. <laughs> yeah. Oh man, what I was... a party. <laughs> okay. So yeah, you got it right. I was the most unpopular father in the country. I said, "Guess where we're going for you know ski week? <laughs> oh, we're going to D.C." Uh, and uh, uh, but I'm trying, and you know I'm trying. I brought him the Capitol. I wanted the, we brought him the Holocaust Museum, the African American Museum. Uh, we brought him the Spy Museum, which was that uh, was actually a winner. Get a little gimme, yeah. Uh, but 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 they. I mean, I'm just trying to. I, I don't know. This is hard. It's it's not, look. I'm, I'm, we can get into parenting conversations, but this is hard. Last night, book report. I, I admit to having to bribe my 14 year old with something not I had to a buy today. It was whatever it was. But Incentives. Yes, I get home. She's panicking. She's stressed. She's got to get the book report. My wife's out of town. You know, get it done. And meanwhile, there's a lot of work that had to be. It's life. Everyone, everybody, every parent out there, the toughest job in the world and most important job. I mean, you don't get you don't get a do over and don't screw it up. And politicians and kids not always 
turn out the way they all should. So I'm also mindful of that. Can't recall your parents either. No. And by the way, I will say no BS. That recall for them was hard. That was like, that's when it gets mm. personal. And they felt that. They felt it at school and people mocking their dad. I hate your dad. My parents hate my father. Hates you. They see recall signs and people, you know, when you walk into a grocery store or something. And they're going to likely see that again. That's hard. I know no one, you know, no one cares. I'll get over it. You're a politician, you know, uh, et cetera. You deserve it or, or some of those attitudes. But those kids don't. And, uh, you know, I just think any anyone in this racket and includes right wing families as well. And what I mean by that, I didn't like seeing that AG from Kentucky. Uh, had a, a bomb detonated near him. I mean, you know, even Don Jr. or something. There was the hazmat team. That's wrong. Enough. Come on. These are human beings. Period. You may not agree with them. All of them. Judges. Doesn't matter. Right wing, liberal. Uh, we've got to find uh, some humanity here, and uh, and we all have to live together. Divorce is not an option. Uh, and so, anyway, I, you know. But you know, we'll take on this recall. But you know, if it happens, uh, we'll take it on with a, a ferociousness of purpose, meaning, mission. Um, that we took on the last one, and, and as I say, I, I don't, I, I don't dismiss these things lightly at all. I take this one very, very seriously. All right, we will leave it there, Governor Gavin Newsom. Thanks for coming in. Thank Good you. to be with you guys. That'll do it for this edition of Political Breakdown. We're a production of KQED Public Radio. Our engineer today is Seal Muller. Our producers are Guy Marzarati and Izzy Bloom. I'm Scott Schaefer, and I'm Marisa Lagos. Don't forget to vote. We'll see you next time. Hi, it's Terry Gross, the host of Fresh Air. We bring you in-depth, long-form interviews with actors, directors, musicians, authors, journalists, and more. Listen to our Peabody Award-winning Fresh Air podcast from WHYY and NPR. Hey there, this is Brittany Luce from NPR's It's Been a Minute. KQED's podcasts like The Bay, Bay Curious, Mind Shift, Right Nowish, and more all tell the stories of the Bay and beyond with reliable, human-centered journalism. They aim to inspire, make you think, entertain, and expand your understanding of the place you call home. Here's how you can support podcasting at KQED. Showing your support is easy, and you can join Brittany in supporting KQED Podcast too at donate.kqed.org podcast. That's donate.kqed.org podcast.